Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Templey. sexual nature it should be for people that are 18 years or older heed my warning people i do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show the facts we're retelling you were presented to us by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims my description of the crime scenes are what i saw with my own two eyes if you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. And I love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. Thank you so much for liking and sharing us and helping us grow. Patreon members, thank you so much for your support. I really, really appreciate it. And as in the previous weeks on Nanny Knot, you can go to the patron-only page on Facebook if your vandalism tearing up and all of these documents we scanned in. Look, there's a shitload of them, y'all, that I'm not even, you know, looking at a bunch of supplemental reports and everything. But I'm just going to get straight into the episode. Stay tuned at the end of today's episode for some more announcements. When I left y'all last time... Mr. Kearney Foster, who was chief of detectives at the time for the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office, and, and Jennifer Smith Love, the FBI agent, were interviewing Evelyn McKnight about the death of, of baby Matthew Populus. Okay? So if you haven't listened to the other previous episodes, go back and listen to them. Now I'm going to get straight back into the interrogation, y'all. And here we go. And, and yes, I am reading this because I want you to hear this lying bitch and, and, and get to hear some investigators actually work uh, a perp, if you will, what I call a perp. So they were talking about the life insurance policies uh, or possible life insurance policies on the baby, y'all. And Evan had just ended it saying that she, she thought Robin Populist, Matthew's mama, had taken out a, a insurance policy on the baby. So the FBI agent, Jennifer Love, says, and, okay, y'all, if you didn't listen last week, I'm going I'm to I'm say FBI, that's Jennifer Love, asking a question. If I say McKnight, that's her responding. Or if I say Foster, that's Mr. Kearney Foster asking a question. Sorry, back to it. Love asks, now, is this your understanding that there are two life insurance policies out on this baby and that Robin was the person who took them out? Then Knight says, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, it's to my understanding there is two, but the only one I know of that Robin took out that she said she took out is hers. I don't know about the one FBI interrupts. Okay, you don't know if, if he took out any? Knight says no. Foster, one, qu- one other question. Do you know where evidence is in this house or put anywhere or gone anywhere that we may need to collect? McKnight says no. Foster, you you know what we're talking about. Evidence like clothes, shirts, blankets, shoes, anything. McKnight, 
Anything that belongs to the baby is if it, it was clean. If I had washed it, it would be in that little dresser in his room as far as clothes. If it was dirty, it would be in the washroom. Foster. All right. Describe the articles of clothing or cover that was missing from your house. McKnight. There are, um, now, I haven't went in there and looked through everything. There's, I know, um, what the baby had on when he went to bed. I know what he had on when he was running around here that morning. Foster, describe it. McKnight. It was a little onesie, a little T-shirt thing you pull over, and it snaps between the legs. It should have had yellow trim around the collar and yellow around the legs and maybe like a little bunny or some kind of little picture right here on the front of it. The blanket that Rodney said that he seen Matt left in is a multicolored blanket. It, it's, it's like a big blanket. It's like oval-shaped blanket, and it's got a little trim around it, and it's like a little silk border that made it a little bit rougher, and it's like a heavy-knitted-type blanket, FBI. What color is it? What What is the color, McKnight? It's like multicolors. It's not like maybe pinks and green and yellow and blue, you know, knitted into white, FBI. I want to back up to what time you, you said your husband left that Friday to go to work. About what time was it, McKnight? He gets up at 10 till 5, and he's usually gone by 5.15. Real lies, real crime. Hey, y'all. Who doesn't love everything Disney, right? But the hassle of planning those trips. Well, let me take out that equation for you right now. You can use Middle of the Magic Travel, and Miranda Reynolds Powell is a travel agent that is an authorized Disney planner, and what sets her apart from other agents is that she specializes in Disney destinations and has over 30 trips that give her the first-hand experience. Booking your vacation with Miranda will give you first-class concierge service that is complimentary to all clients with no additional fees. You will pay the same cost that you pay directly with Disney without having the added stress of planning it all yourself. From booking dinner reservations to curating custom itineraries for all traveling parties, Miranda is there to help or plan as much or as little as her clients need. While being able to book any Disney destination across the world, she's also able to book universal resorts as well. Her passion for planning grows with every client that she gets to service and she can't wait to get you into the magic. When anyone mentions Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast, when they book with Miranda, they will receive extra pixie dust to their vacation. This includes in-room arrival gifts that will be delivered to their resort room. Each pixie dust edition will be specialized and catered to each client's unique vacation. So that's Middle of the Magic Travel with Miranda Reynolds Powell. And she can be reached at Miranda at Middle of the Magic Travel.com. That's Miranda at Middle of the Magic Travel.com. FBI. And do you remember about what time it was when Rodney came in here and woke you up and said and told you what happened? McKnight. It should have been um, right around, I would think around eight or right close to eight. FBI. Now, let me ask you this. Who decided then that you, how, what did you and Rodney discuss about how you were going to account for this missing baby? McKnight. We didn't discuss how we were going to account for it. We just went, laid in his bed, and we cried, and we didn't know what to do. The first thing I thought of, Rod, Rodney had said, you know, Mama, what they going to do to us, you know, to me? And I said, they're not going to do you anything. I'm not going to let them do you anything because you haven't done anything. He never, we never, with no plan or no scheme, all we done was just we didn't know that that was the only thing we could say, you know, the only, the, I just told 
you this. Say you don't know if anybody asks you. Just say you don't know, FBI. And so how was it that who discovered that the baby did you and Rodney announce that the baby was missing? Or how did that come about, McKnight? Oh, FBI. Or the morning. On the morning, yes. McKnight. No, um, I, uh, the, uh, I think Rodney had got up and went in there, or maybe uh, my little girl, Amanda, had come in here. But uh, they were looking for the, they were looking for Matt, and that's how it came about, and that he was missing. And then I remember seeing, um, you know, got up and went into the kitchen, and everybody started looking for Bobby and looking for the baby. That's how it all came about that the baby was missing, and that's how everybody becomes aware that he was missing, FBI. And can we say that you was, uh, where where was Bobby at now when everybody gets up and at night? We was outside, and I don't know just where at, but I was told that he was outside by the uh, thing where Krabs is out there, but I didn't go. I didn't go outside. I went to the bar in the kitchen, and I came back, and I got back in the bed. FBI. And during the confusion that was going on, did Bobby ever say anything about the baby being missing? McKnight. No, not to me. FBI. And so, who described that the baby had just walked off, and that was agreed to tell the police? Hey, y'all, I don't know about you, but I get fed up dealing with my doctor's office and the prescriptions every month. I never know if the doctor has called in the prescription, when the prescription is going to be filled, am I going to run out ahead of time, et cetera. So I'm stoked to tell you about Amazon Pharmacy. Amazon Pharmacy saves you time and deliver medication directly to your door, so no more waiting in line at the pharmacy. You can choose between 30 and 90-day supplies. And if you're a Prime member, then you can get six months' worth of prescription medication. And Amazon Pharmacy saves you money. Comparing your med prices with and without insurance is fast and easy. Prime members can get meds for as low as $1 a month when paying without insurance. And you, you just have your doctor's office send your next prescription straight to Amazon Pharmacy. And Amazon Pharmacy works for most insurance plans nationwide. Amazon Prime members, don't forget that free two-day delivery and save on prescription medication when paying without insurance. So, y'all, you know, it's simple. It's easy. I no longer have to worry every single month whether my medicine's going to be there. Amazon Pharmacy is outstanding. The customer service is outstanding. Get it guaranteed. Take the guesswork out. Run less errands. Let Amazon do the work for you. And Amazon Prime members can save on prescription medication when not using insurance with medication as low as $1 a month plus free two-day delivery. Learn more at Amazon.com slash R-L-R-C. That's Amazon.com slash R-L-R-C. Amazon.com slash R-L-R-C. McKnight. I don't know. I never decided that. I guess it was just everybody thought the baby had walked off. FBI. But you know that was not the case. McKnight. I knew that it wasn't. FBI. And you knew what happened to Matt, to the baby. And what was that? McKnight. That my son was made to ride with Bobby, and that ev- um, it um, evidently he had hurt the baby or killed the baby here, and he threw the baby over a bridge well, uh, over a bridge rail somewhere near Springfield. FBI, did Rodney ever tell you that he hurt the baby? McKnight, yeah, uh, he never told me that. FBI. Did he see Bobby kill the baby? McKnight. No, he never told me that, that he's seen inaudible. FBI. Do you know that Rodney hurt the baby? Did Rodney tell you he hurt the baby? McKnight. No, he never told me he hurt the baby. He didn't hurt the baby. I know, y'all. I know he wouldn't hurt that baby.
Foster. Did he say Bobby hurt the baby? McKnight. He said Bobby done it. So, you know, so Foster done what? McKnight threw him over the bridge rail. So Foster. But what did he do to him before he threw him over the bridge rail? That's what we're interested in. McKnight. He never told me that he saw Bobby do anything other than that Bobby's pants down um, playing with himself in the living room. He never, he said that when he got back up the second time and looked out in Audible, maybe he knew Bobby might have been taking him out of here. I don't know, but he, he said, Foster. But when he went in there the first time, did he notice the baby was dead then? McKnight, he didn't tell me that he knew he was dead. Foster, that's when he got in the bed with you, though, the first time, huh? McKnight, um, um, what? Foster, you got in the bed with you. He got in the bed with you twice, didn't he? McKnight, yeah, but when he came in and got in the bed, he, he never said the baby was dead. He never said anything, Foster, but he told you what Bobby was doing in there in Audible. Now, I must have under, misunderstood something. I understand that Rodney went in there and saw him doing it and came back in there and told you about it in the bed. FBI, did he tell, after he saw Bobby with his pants down, did he immediately leave out of the living room and come and say, Mama, Bobby got his pants down? McKnight, no, no. FBI, when did you find out about that? that Bobby had his pants down playing with himself. McKnight, when when he came back, when he got back from in her car, when everything was over with, when he, when he had gotten Foster. No, don't think about it now. You're getting ready to mess up. Think about what you're saying, FBI. Okay, let's go back. When Bobby... When Rodney went inside the living room to turn off the TV and he had already... Been in bed with you one time. Is that correct? McKnight. Mm-hmm. FBI. He gets there the second time. He goes in to turn off the television because he had put the baby down. Is that correct? McKnight. Yeah. FBI. So he puts the baby. The baby is asleep, and you tell him he's already in the bed with you, and you tell him that if the baby is asleep, go turn the TV off. McKnight. Mm-hmm. FBI, and so he goes and turns the TV off, and he sees Bobby in the living room with his pants down masturbating. McKnight, and he told me then. FBI, he told you right then? McKnight, he told me then. He never once said that Bobby was doing anything to the baby. Foster, let me ask you something, and you're going to be asked this a lot. Why didn't you get up and go in there and do something? McKnight, I, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I was not allowed to get out of bed. I wasn't supposed to get out of bed. I just when he said that Bobby was inaudible. He said, Mama, I just went in there and Bobby had his pants down playing with himself. And I said, well, what did, what did you do? And he said, I just turned off the TV and came back in here. And I said, well, where was Matt? He said he was asleep. I just, you know, at first, I just assumed maybe Bobby was just playing with himself. And, you know, and look, that's that's all I could say, that he was just masturbating. FBI, did you? And then Mac, McKnight cuts her off. McKnight says, and Rodney had seen it, and I mean, I don't, why, why I didn't get up and go in there and see if maybe he was doing something to the baby? But the only reason that I could think of and that I wouldn't have got up and went and looked is because I never in this world would have thought that he would do anything to the baby, you know, Foster. In other words, you didn't hear the baby crying, McKnight. No, I never heard the baby crying, FBI. When was the last time you heard that baby and you think about this hard? When was the last time you said the baby was up and down the hall? In reference to Rodney getting in bed with you, when was the last time? 
Was it the first time he got in bed with you? You never heard that baby crying? Or was it the second time? When was it the second? McKnight. Very first time he came and got into bed with me after seeing the baby playing and after I could hear him, I mean, I couldn't hear exactly what was saying or going on in the living room. That, I mean, I could hear like little muffles playing around in the living room. That was the very last time that I heard the baby. Foster, what time was that? Kind of went over my head then. When was this now? The last time you heard him. That was before Rodney ever got in the bed with you? McKnight. No. Rodney had come and got in the bed, in and out the bed, not to lay down and go to sleep because he went in and out of my room and, you know, to sit on the bed in and out. But it, it was when Rodney had come in here, I don't know, if he came in here for uh, about the food or the car wash or whatever, but I had heard them in the living room playing around, you know, and um, had seen them in here. That was the very last time I heard the baby, Foster. And that's another thing. Rodney actually did pull the car on the carport one time and then put it back out there before all this happened. McKnight, that's what he said. He said he pulled on the carport or maybe up to the carport, but I do know that he wanted to wash the car, and that's the only where we wash it. It's on the rocks. Of I have washed it in the carport. Foster, did that actually happen? McKnight, that actually happened. I was awake. I know that actually happened. Hey, y'all, let me tell you about every plate again. Getting dinner on the table used to be a challenge. Now let every plate plan, shop, and deliver everything you need to cook a delicious meal at a delightful price. Recipes come together in about 30 minutes, definitely faster than a trip to the grocery store and starting a meal from scratch. Every plate provides easy-to-follow recipe cards and pre-proportioned ingredients so you can spend less time prepping and cooking and more time enjoying good food with your family or loved ones. And every plate subscription service is much cheaper than the other ones that are out there. And look, I've been using it for almost a year and a half now, y'all, and I loved every single meal we get. Cindy and I can cook it together in the kitchen in no time and have more time for family fun. The last one, and probably one of my most favorites thus far, was a pork and poblano tacos. It came with all the ingredients of poblano peppers, tomatoes, garlics, Southwest spice, jalapenos, lime, ground pork, sour cream, and six flour tortillas. It cooked in six simple steps, saving tons of time, tons of money. The food is better than restaurant quality because we do it ourselves and cook it, and it's cheaper, y'all, cheaper than anybody else. Try every plate for just $1.99 per meal, plus an additional 20% off your next two boxes by going to everyplate.com and entering code RLRC199. Try every plate for just $1.99 per meal, plus an additional 20% off your next two boxes by going to everyplate.com and entering code RLRC199. That's up to $100 value, y'all. And just, I love every plate. I love to see those boxes when they come to the door. I know I'm saving money and I'm saving time and providing a better meal and a better meal experience for my family. Foster. And then after that is when the baby left with the baby then, McKnight, after that, yeah, Foster. And you think, how do you know it was what you say 10 minutes, what you say 10 minutes to 8? How do you know it was 10 minutes to 8 or 8 o'clock when they came back? Did they come in audible? McKnight, I know, I don't know. I don't know exactly what time. I just said it should have been around 8 o'clock. It seems like it was around 8 o'clock because my mama had called and talked to Rodney. She had called earlier and talked to him, and then she called back and said that because my mom had was supposed to have come around 9 or 10 that morning because she hadn't seen me since I got out of the hospital. But, you know, it seemed to be around 8 
when my mama called, and I've even asked her over and over after all this had taken place, what time did she around that time call? She says she called around 8. I don't know if it could still be on my caller ID. I think it's supposed to hold up to 100 numbers. Maybe it's still on there. You can check it. But it seemed to be around 8. Maybe a little later, maybe a little earlier. I'm not sure because I did not look at the clock to see FBI. Now, let me ask you this. After um, Rodney gets into the bed with you, after they had gone and thrown the baby over the bridge, did you fall back asleep? McKnight, no. And I haven't been sleeping since. Last night and this morning is the very first time I've been able to lay down and go to sleep. And it's not because I feel like justice has been done. I feel like he's out of my house and that baby is out of the river. And that's the last, this is the only time last night, it's the only time since all this happened I've been able to sleep inside my heart and Rodney's and that I've been able to sleep any at all. Foster, has Rodney ever told you any discrepancies in the story, a little different or anything? McKnight, no. He's never told me anything. He has never told me he actually seen Foster. And when, McKnight, what Bobby done or if he done anything? FBI. With going back to when um, Rodney told you that you say Bobby in the living room playing with himself and the baby was in there, weren't you concerned about the, I mean, were you concerned about the child's welfare? He had been left in your care and custody, McKnight. Yes, I mean, I'm always concerned about him, but Bobby has never hurt anybody here, and I've never seen him do anything physically to any little child, mine, not any kid. So the only thing I thought of, you know, is, you know, Bobby is a little off, and, and he don't have a wife or girlfriend. I figure it's early morning, you know, he just may have just woke up with the urge to masturbate. I never once thought that he would harm that baby. I just, you know, assumed that he was doing that and the baby was asleep, you know, and I thought to myself, God, that's disgusting. But, I mean, I just never once thought that he would have, you know, done anything to that baby. FBI. Has he, um, has Rodney ever told you that he touched him in any kind of way? McKnight, no. FBI, or harmed him in any way? McKnight, no. FBI, what about your other two children? McKnight, no, they never mentioned it. FBI, and was there ever concern? And did you ever have that concern? McKnight, never. Now I do. I never have them before. Foster, do you have any objections to having a doctor check them? McKnight, I want them checked. I want all three of them checked. Foster. Okay. I would re ready for a closed taped interview at this time. It's five minutes to one. FBI. But before we conclude, Evelyn, for the final time, have you told us everything that you know about the disappearance of Matthew Popolis and any involvement that your son or Bobby had in that incident. McKnight, I have told you everything. FBI. And then the things that you've told us, they've been truthful to the best of your knowledge? McKnight, to the very best of my knowledge, as of this very minute, I have told y'all the truth, the honest truth from the bottom of my heart, and I'll be willing to take a polygraph, anything to prove my son's innocence, and my innocence than to have justice served and get all this over with so that the baby can finally have peace and final rest in place and it's over with. Foster. That would be the conclusion of this tape taken at Miss Easley's residence. End of statement. All right, y'all. This is where we're at. On any kind of... Uh, Interrogation like that, Mr. Kearney and Jennifer Love with the FBI, they had the information from the cousin. I, I said uh, 
or I said cousin was actually the nephew and the niece, that Evelyn McKnight had went to the guy and was like, hey, you got to call these people. And she made up a lie about somebody else, you know, telling her about the, the, uh, the baby being kidnapped and thrown over the bridge. And the dude was like, really? I mean, why didn't you call the cops? Long story short, they knew this before they went out there to interview her. Now, you got to remember, she's still supposed to be on bed rest, okay, because she just had surgery. So that's the only reason they didn't drag her ass in to a squad room, I can promise you that, or into the detective's office and do it. So, Because you never really want to uh, have that kind of interview on the suspect's turf, if you will. You want to get them out of their own environment. But basically, she's now blaming it on Bobby Jordan, the, the guy in the house. And she puts her own son in on it, all right, saying that Bobby Jordan forced her son to ride in the car with the baby and that he threw the baby over the bridge, the big bridge. So what happens immediately? All right, so this, they, they conclude his tape statement, and Kearney's going to go outside, and he's going to call Willie and say, hey, look, it's going to be the Highway 42 bridge outside of Springfield, the baby described, told, Evelyn said the baby, the baby being, that Rodney described going across a couple small bridges and then turn around and, and then a big one, which would have been the Tickfall River, y'all. And then they went down, turned around and came back and threw the baby, uh, Bobby Jordan threw the baby over the bridge and something else. So what happens? Going back into the search mode, Willie gets that information. He calls, he already had information that, it was the baby was thrown off a bridge somewhere off forty two. So he had people looking. Now it's late in the evening time, and but they converge on the Chickfall River Bridge on Highway forty two, and they secure it as a crime scene. They would have shut down the roadway. They would have started searching. Now let me describe the Chickfall River to you. Chickfall River is navigable only by like small boat, like a canoe or whatever. It's a very very shallow in a lot of places, has a lot of down trees. When I say river, y'all, it's not a river. It's more like a creek, maybe, maybe 30 yards across in, in some spots, right? And so where this bridge is at, it has a couple bends in the river in that it's a, you know, every time it rains, the river almost floods and it comes up and goes down accordingly. But it's a, basically it's a shallow river, and, and there's few deep holes, you know, um, around some of the bends and stuff like that. But there's a lot of trees that have fallen into the river and stuff like that. So by the time they get there and secure it and they search around the bridge, it's getting dark, all right? And, and so the, the next morning, I mean, they still had it secured. The next morning, they get everybody out there all the dive teams, and I think it was actually, let me look it up, The it was actually a Baton Rouge PD officer on a jet ski that was approximately, and I know the newspaper articles and stuff say the baby was found a mile down the river. It was approximately a mile and a half, and they found him tangled up in one of those fallen down trees in the treetop, and he was naked. Now, let's talk about that for a second, okay? A body that's freshly dead is going to sink. Real life, real crime. Hey, y'all, let me tell you about Purdy. It's P-U-R-I-D-Y, Debt Solutions. How many of us have racked up credit card debt in the past year? If you have over $10,000 in credit card or personal loan debt, you need to listen up. Purdy Debt Solutions has a program to stop the interest and fees while lowering your monthly payments to pay off your debt fast. I get it. I've run up the credit cards before. You run up one because something happens, and before you know it, you have, you have two or three that are run up, and you're paying the monthly minimum. Well, meanwhile, all those interest rates from the different cards are adding up, and they're killing you, right? Well, Purdy Debt has a solution for it. And the types of debt accepted include credit cards, personal loans, collections, and medical debt. You must have $10,000 in debt to qualify, no minimum credit score required, bad and fair credit accepted. 
If you're making payments every month on your credit cards and your balances aren't going down, this program is for you. PDS debt rolls all of your payments into one low 0% interest monthly payment. Customers save thousands in interest and fees while paying their debt off in a fraction of the time. The average American credit card debt over $10,000 ends up paying two and a half times back what they originally spent. www.pdsdebt.com slash R-O-A-S-T has a 60-second debt assessment that gives them everything they need to customize the perfect program for you. Purdy Debt Solutions is offering a $25 Visa gift card to our qualified listeners just for completing the quick and easy debt assessment at www.pdsdebt.com slash R-L-R-C. That's www.pdsdebt.com slash R-L-R-C. Take back your financial freedom today by visiting pdsdebt.com slash R-L-R-C. For me, for that baby to float down the river, and that's not a fast-moving river and stuff, y'all. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it had been hot and dry, and the river wasn't up or anything. But, I mean, for the baby to be almost a mile and a half down the river floating before he got hung in the treetops, that tells me the baby had air in his lungs that Matthew Poppins was still alive when he was thrown off the bridge. But they found him, and they recovered his body and bring him out. Now, multiple things are going to happen at this point. One, based off of Evelyn McKnight's statements, they got an arrest warrant for Bobby Jordan for first-degree murder in they went and arrested his ass, okay? He immediately lorries up. He's got a lawyer. I think his name was Peck. Uh, I, mean, I can't remember what his lawyer's name was, but he immediately lowers up. They book him in for the first-degree murder of baby Matthew Populus, the, the, the 22-month-old, right, and throwing him off the bridge. The media is in a frenzy. And then it comes out that Bobby Jordan had been out there every day, you know, helping the search teams look for the baby. And if that's the case and he actually did kill the baby, that's fucked up, right? But we've seen how many times you hear that on these big cases where the actual killers interject themselves into the investigation, whether it's by, you know, calling in tips or helping search for the body and stuff like that. But his ass goes to jail. But it doesn't stop there. Okay, I mean, why is Evelyn changing her story? Why didn't Evelyn get the fuck up and go see why Bobby Jordan is jacking off on this baby? Why didn't Evelyn tell anybody for almost a week? All right, I'm going to tell you why Evelyn told. Evelyn told because she knew that Rodney was scheduled for a polygraph. And she was afraid of what Rodney was going to go in there and say to the polygraphist, which was Don Zolke. Uh, that polygraph is still scheduled, but let me talk. Let's talk about the let's talk about the autopsy, okay? And I, y'all, I have the full deal autopsy report. It will be put up on Patreon, and it's way, way more shit than I'm ever going to read to you. the The base facts of it are just bad. All right, that the autopsy was actually done. Uh, by Dr. Emil Laga, L-A-G-A. He's a forensic pathologist. And the final diagnosis, I'm going to read it to you, okay? And then we'll talk about it. Final diagnosis, uh, and this is uh, the autopsy of Matthew Populus, 22 months old. Subject with blunt trauma to the head, allegedly thrown in the Tickfall River, possibly alive, aspirating, swallowed mud, possibly resulting in acute asphyxiation due to drowning. Final investigative report to follow. Object inflicting the blunt trauma, no information available. Impacted right lateral calibrium 
measuring approximately three inches. External signs, macerated body, moderate to severe, predominantly the left side, thick red-gray mud staining. That's that's where he would have came. That's another reason, y'all, that you, you know that the um, he floated and was alive because that he's talking about that the baby would have been stuck in that tree on, on his left side like that, and that's where the lividity would have set in if he hadn't been decomposing. Body scavenging by marine animals, preorbital, perinasal, perial, and perigenal severe. Fly, larva, egg infestation of scavenged regions. Sublingual fingertip stenosis severe. Conjunctional serial jaundice, not elevated. Conjunctional bulbar. Uh, petechia not elevated, open mouth without protruding tongue, diffused oral, something I can't read out, and mud staining, no froth, mucus, vomitus, blood exiting from mouth or nose, and none existing on the compression of the chest, 90 degree tilting of the body. All right, let, let me get a little more into the actual report. The, let me just sum it up for you. The, basically, <sighs> the baby had severe trauma to the head, approximately a three-inch angle. And what sticks out to me, and I haven't read it, and I'm not going to take the time, is just like a 30-page report. It'll be a whole other episode. Basically, on the autopsy, all you know, they bring you in and they take them out of the bag and photograph them, and then they work the body from head to toe. They found that the three-inch wound to his head, uh, but they also found, but like, um, it appeared it was to the side of the face, and the baby's teeth had been knocked into his gums too. His teeth had been knocked by the by the blunt force trauma. All right, and it was found out for sure when, when they, you know, they cut open the body, they got into the lungs. The lungs had mud and water in them, which means Matthew was breathing. They would send this mud off to LSU or wherever to be tested in the water, and it was confirmed as water and mud from that, you know, from the Tickfall River. So... The baby, maybe he was knocked out, I don't know, but he damn sure wasn't dead when he was thrown into the water, all right? And it, he got knocked hard and with enough force to knock his teeth basically loose into his mouth and crush his head. I don't know. It's fucked up. It was really fucked up. They could have taken him to the hospital. People still would have gone to prison, but they could have taken him to the hospital. But he threw him, or somebody threw him, into the water. Okay? Real life, real crime. Hey, y'all, let me tell you about Alpha Fence Company. It's owned by Steve and Jason, and the number is 225 432 six two nine three y'all was looking for a fencing company to do my backyard because my dogs kept getting out steve and jason came in and did a phenomenal job they the work is top-notch first class and my dogs can no longer get out but it's part custom wood privacy fence and the rest is is wire chain link with a solar powered electrical line around the bottom of it to keep the dogs off of it so they did a great job and I totally recommend them. Y'all give them a call. They do custom wood privacy fence, vinyl fence, aluminum fence, chain link fence, net wire, and they service areas of Livingston, East Baton Rouge Parish, Ascension Parish, Tangipahoa Parish, St. Tammany Parish, and other parishes. So call them today for your free estimate at Steve and Jason at 225-432-6293. 
And you mentioned Real Life Real Crime for 5% off any work that they do for y'all. Again, they did first class work for me. I couldn't be happier. So give Steve and Jason and Alpha Fence Company a call for all your fencing needs. Thank you. Big ass autopsy report will be put up on the Patreon only page, and I'm not getting into it today because it's too much stuff. Now, the story's not over. It's really just beginning, all right? So Rodney, Mr. Kearney's not going to get off on it. He's not just going to take Evelyn's word after all this time and be like, oh, yeah, well, bitch, case closed. But now Bobby had to be arrested. I mean, they have way more than probable cause off of Evelyn's statement. So what they do is they get Rodney in, and they want to interview him now about what happened. And Rodney said almost verbatim what Evelyn had said. He said that he got him out of the bed. Uh, he got Matthew out of the bed, put him in there to watch cartoons, and he came in and asked her about washing the car, and he moved the car, and he moved it back in. Now, meanwhile, y'all, Evelyn and, and Rodney don't know the, the neighbors saw that car coming back from east, which is the direction where the bridge would have been, or the, the way they would have had to travel to the bridge to throw the baby off. And, you know, so you got you got a lot more stuff. Then the guy called in about the burn baby and all that. I mean, it's stuff that you're putting together as an investigator step-by-step. Step. They want Rodney in. All right, and they want to polygraph him with Don Zulke. I told you in the previous episode, it's just the best. And so they get him in. Rodney goes to the whole pretest interview, y'all, on on the polygraph, and tells the same story. And then, man, I actually have the report. One second, I mean, this one I don't I don't normally like to read reports, but this is kind of cool for me because Zulke was kind of my idol. Just like getting to read Mr. Kearney's interrogation thing was priceless to me because you know, obviously he was my mentor and pretty much taught me everything that I knew. So to to get to read him working a big case you know, with the FBI is, is priceless. But so I'll just sum it up for you. They would have brought him in. Uh, he's 12, almost 13 years old, and Zulke's very, very good. And so he goes through, you know, the uh, he has to get the waiver for, for the the Rodney to be able to take the polygraph and he goes through and Rodney sticking to the story, right? And says the same thing Evelyn said, uh, you know, about him masturbating. And then he goes back out there and he sees Bobby carrying something towards the car, right? He goes out and said, what are you doing? And he sees Bobby's got the baby, Matthew, wrapped up in a blanket and supposedly Bobby makes him get in the car they drive down the road, past a couple uh, smaller bridges, and hit the big bridge, and he turned around and he threw the baby out, and they came came back home. Uh, takes the, the polygraph test. The relevant questions would have been, you know, regarding if he was being truthful about his statements about Bobby Jordan, regarding if he, if he saw anybody hurt the baby, and if he saw anybody throw the baby out the bridge. Well, guess what happened? Rodney fails the test, and he failed it miserably, okay? Who's lying? So what do they do? They now want to schedule Evelyn for a polygraph, which would have been two days later, y'all. And but they also scheduled Rodney for another polygraph. Let me, let me back up for a second. There's a couple more side notes I want to tell, and then I'm on, I am probably do one more episode on this. A couple more side notes. This is, just, this is so fucked up. And I got to dig. One second. All right, I'm just going to tell you, because I can tell you off the top of my head. When they pulled him out of the river, and they told... Matthew's grandmother about it, she drops dead from a heart attack upon hearing the news. So when they go to bury or go to do the wake for Matthew after the body's released and all, they actually did a double wake 
for the grandmother and the baby at the same time, at the same funeral home. That's it's fucked up. I mean, it's just bad. And I know all the cases I've had where family members have died, when I, you know, they get the news and stuff like that, but not not like, I can only think of one other one where the baby was displayed with a parent, but never had one where the baby was displayed with a grandparent for the wake. So the autopsy, y'all, again, the autopsy comes back, the, the initial findings, you know, the water and lungs, and it will be later on uh, confirmed that the mud, can you imagine that, a 22-month-old, you severely injured, your teeth are knocked out, you, you got a, you know, three-inch fracture in your head, and then some asshole throws you off a bridge, whoever it was, throws you off a bridge and leaves you in the hot July summer for almost a week before they have a conscience or somebody has, gets a conscience and tells what they actually know. Well, I submit to you that the only reason the bitch said anything is because she knew Rodney was going to be polygraphed and she was afraid Rodney would spill the beans, okay? And so she tries to get out in front of it. I mean, she goes over there and begs her nephew to, you know, to make it happen. And then she she got what she wanted. She got the polygraph delayed. She throws the shade on Bobby Jordan. Bobby Jordan's arrested. You know, national media, y'all. Keep that in the context again. The national media everywhere. And now they are really blowing it up. Bobby Jordan arrested, first-degree murder. He's been, you know, he's the live-in friend of the common law husband and sleeps on the couch and was masturbating over the baby and, you know, evidently. Oh, oh, shit. I'm going to tell you this. I forgot because I didn't go and read the whole autopsy report. They said uh, baby Matthew's bowels were extended outside of his rectum, possible sign or probable sign of sexual abuse, like being raped, right? I mean, if you're going to rape a... A 22-month-old, you're going to tear him up, right? So that that did kind of give credence to the Bobby Jordan theory. But it really, they couldn't say for certainty because the baby had been in the water for so long and anything, any of that evidence put him washed away. But it appeared it could have been from being raped anally. But... Get, they couldn't rule out for certain that it was part of the decomposition process. But, I mean, everything was leaning to the baby was raped. So the theory was that Bobby Jordan was, or somebody, but the theory at the time was Bobby Jordan was raping the baby and that he killed him and then threw his body in the river to... Wash away any evidence of his crime. But that's not all the story, y'all. I got some more to tell. Okay? And it's just, it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. But the guy, I've got to tell it in these parts um, to do it justice. And otherwise, I forgot to like that part about the autopsy just then. It's going to get worse in. The very end conclusion is just the absolute worst of it all, and I will conclude it on the next episode. I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to conclude it on the next episode. And again, all this documentation will be put up, and that's so much stuff, y'all. And remember also the the couple that I talked about on the prelude, Nanny Knot, that were the nanny had the baby and... Um, Returned home. It, it returned home, and the parents thought the baby had fell and hurt itself the first time. They took it to the emergency room. Next time, nanny takes the brings the baby back, or whatever, and and they end up going to the emergency room. And, and oh no, she ended up taking it to the emergency room. And long story short, they weren't supposed to leave it with the neighbor, and they did the next night, whatever. And the baby ends up brain dead. They got arrested. They got arrested and spent eight fucking months in jail, and they never put it together that the nanny on that case 
was Evelyn McKnight also. And they were told by Child Protective Services that the only babysitter they could use was Evelyn McKnight. Now, the baby that got burned up in Independence, that, that lived, got burned up, and the doctor said, no way in hell walked in the wall heater, that babysitter or that nanny was Evelyn McKnight. So you got a history, right? I mean, talking like late 80s, then early 90s, what is it, 92 or something, when when the um, baby is murdered uh, in Tanchapoe Parish, and those parents went to jail for eight months and lost their, their other daughter behind it. And so they would end up hearing about the baby going missing from Evelyn's and all that and Bobby Jordan being arrested for murder, but I think that's when they put two and two together. So anyway, we'll conclude it next week, y'all. And real quick announcements. Thank you again for liking us and sharing us. And, and you know, we have all our social media pages. Instagram is at Real Life Real Crime or at Overton Woody. We have all our Facebook pages, uh, uh, all the podcast stuff I'm supposed to say. Please like us and leave us a review if you get a chance and uh, on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast. Uh, one important thing, I think this will probably be the last week that y'all get to hear it or may already pass, the voting for the podcast, People's Choice Podcast Awards, ends the last day of July, okay, the regular voting. So if you would, please, if you haven't already, go to www.podcastawards.com. And you have to enter an email and a, a, a passcode or password. And I'm under, I think, four different categories. But it's for, you can scroll to best male host of a podcast and scroll down in Real Life Real Crime. Then the best true crime podcast and scroll down to Real Life Real Crime, click on it. And then storytelling and drama, which is, I want it for, in, in 2019, uh, please go on there and click and scroll down to Real Life Real Crime. And then I think the most influ influential podcaster, there's a spot for that. And if you're so inclined, you can check my name. But also my good buddy, Jim Chapman, Local Leaders Podcast, please. He's under the um, Best Male Host and under business podcast and look you got to get to business before you get to any of the other uh, rest of mine so take a second and go in there and click on him he's a great friend to us at real life real crime and uh, it's a real honor for him to be, you know to be nominated and, and hopefully he gets to bring it home so that's it live shows again april 25th it will and this is probably our you're gonna get this probably after that but April 25th at Lachine, Buddy's Barbecue will be there providing the food. I'm going to do the meet and greet Lachine on a Sunday from 4 to 8. They got the best beer, and it's going to be local support and local, y'all. And then August 14th, I don't know if there'll be any tickets left. By the time you hear this, we're, I'm going to do a show in Arlington, Texas at the Legal Draft Beer Company. And it's, it's a brewery that's owned by some lawyers, y'all. So everything in there is named after law stuff. So it's supposed to be a really cool venue. 200 people. Get your tickets at eventbrite.com. Come and see us. If you're, gonna, if you're coming from out of town, you, we're staying at the Hilton Garden Inn on Lamar in Ar Arlington. Use the code RLRC and get your discount. September 25th, High Tones, Memphis, Tennessee. I'm doing another show, and it's going to be an even smaller crowd, like 150 people. It's supposed to be an awesome venue. Uh, all those tickets, I think, are just a flat fee of $35, but you can get them at eventbrite.com. And, of course, the Crew Bash is February 4th and 5th uh, for the VIP ticket holders and Go to eventbrite.com and get those, and we'll be staying at the same Hilton at the Capitol Center. Uh, use the code RLRC and get your discount. So I'm not going to take any more of your time. I will finish this next week and be a hero. If you are in Brazil and you listen to Real Life Real Crime, you're listening to me, whip out your phone, go to lopa.org. L-O-P-A dot org 
sign up to be an organ donor. It takes like two minutes. Be a hero. Give the gift of life. And they do, they're a nonprofit. They do a lot of other great stuff, um, research and stuff like that, y'all. So be a hero. Give the gift of life. Sign up to be an organ donor. And I'm Woody Overton, the host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on murder by you. Peace. Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Template.